0: Welcome and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Church Victoria Podcast. In this series, we discover that God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Based in 2 Peter 1, we will explore God's invitation to participate in His divine nature and ways that we can cultivate a fullness of life. Here's today's message. We are study are starting our new summer series, Everything We Need. Right? Isn't that a isn't that a, a big Claim everything we need. To start off this morning, I want to do some crowd participation with you, if that's okay. So, please repeat after me the following, line by line. I'm putting on my, my uh, uh, wedding. Repeat after me as if we're doing vows. Here we go. His divine power, His divine power. has given us Everything we need need for a godly life. life. All right, one more time. His divine power power has given us us everything we need need for for a godly life. Can you imagine? This is a remarkable statement. This is how Peter's testament begins. A testament in the Greco-Roman world was a writing style that has resonance in our language today. We are advised to ensure our affairs are in order before we die, and that process includes pre- preparing what? A last will and testament, right? It's more commonly known as just a will. And typically, at least for us in our experience, a will is are those things, you know, our instructions that we want done with our stuff when we pass away. It's focused on the distribution of our assets. This section of 2 Peter, beginning with this phrase that we just repeated and ending in verse 11, focuses on the other term, the testament. Like a testimony, a testament is what a person's life is all about. A testament expresses what values, ideas, and convictions someone wants to pass on to others. Since it first appeared, there has been some disagreement as to whether Peter actually penned the words of this letter. One scholar concludes no book in the Bible had more difficulty establishing itself in the canon. And the canon is just the list of, uh, uh, of books that are part of the Bible. But despite that, there is widespread agreement that this letter does reflect Peter's testament. This does reflect Peter's values, convictions, and ideas, ideas which begin with this big claim that by God's grace, we have, as followers of Jesus, everything we need to express a godly or Christ-shaped life. This is a big claim. Did I say that already? It is a big claim. You, You may have also noticed in this passage several other big claims from Peter. Not only does he claim that we have access to everything we need but that if you and I access that divine supply to live out the characteristics necessary for a godly life, you and I will never stumble. Additionally, if you do this across the span, if we do this across the span of our lives, however long that may be, God will reward us with a rich welcome into his kingdom. This passage, if you didn't notice it already, has some heat to it. Everything we need, never stumble, a rich welcome. Wow, imagine what would happen. What would happen to Central or any community of people who gather in the name of Jesus if they took this to heart? What would happen if those communities became intentional, actually put this stuff into practice, and became authentic? They get everything on the table, including joys and victories, doubts, frustrations, And heartaches along the way. What would happen if they became captivated by Christ? Christ is the only one they look to for direction or became spiritual. They live by faith not by sight. They are committed. They live for Christ despite the circumstances. To be clear, This is not saying that the conditions for this life will always be comfortable, easy, or even painless. But these big claims in this passage conclude that nothing anyone can encounter across a lifetime can derail this grace pathway on its own. Sure, there are challenges that tempt us away from God's work in our life, but that's the extent of their power. Temptation. Jesus encouraged his followers, so this would have been resonating in Peter's mind as he concluded his time, his life. These words would likely uh, resonate resonating in Peter's mind these words of Jesus from John chapter 14 verse 12. Jesus said very truly or if you have the old King James verily verily I tell you anytime you see this whether it's very truly or verily verily that sort of repetition is meant to say this is something important this is something to pay attention to I tell you Jesus says is recorded in John 14 the one who believes in me we'll also do the works that I do. In fact, we'll do greater works than these because I go to the Father. This is part of the words of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus that the apostle took to heart. We have what we need to fulfill this promise if we would see it. So this morning, Mary Ann read for us a little more of this chapter than just our key verses, verses 3 to 11, just to give us a bigger context. Because overall, this letter, if you read through this letter, and I encourage you over the course of the summer to take some time and read all of 2 Peter. Overall, this letter expresses dismay to a group of people, a group of Jesus followers, um, expressing dismay over some teachers who were spreading ideas about the return of Christ and, about, and recommending a kind of a permissive lifestyle. As you can imagine, this teaching was causing discord within the churches in that area because, you see, from the very beginning, or at least you know, partway through to the end of Jesus' life, he was making this promise. And one of the things that would have stuck it—at least it would have for me—in the minds of the disciples when Jesus left is that experience on the Mount of Olives, right? Jesus lifting up and raising up and disappearing into the heavens, and the disciples just standing there, incredibly surprised. And then an angel appearing, and what did the angel say? Why are you looking up here? Jesus, this same Jesus, who you've just seen rise, will what? Will come back one day. Will return. So this has been part of the message of the early church, of early Christianity, in fact, of Orthodox Christianity from the beginning. Jesus is coming back. Now, for someone to come along like these teachers and say, well, maybe he's not really coming back. And if he's not really coming back, then does it really matter how we live our lives? So as Christianity spread then from that beginning, through the missionary activities of the apostles, like Peter, people began expecting the return of Jesus. And they began to experience the life change that comes from the indwelling spirit of God promised by Jesus to empower us to live this new Christ-shaped life. But as time progressed, Two natural problems occurred that these teachers that 2 Peter addresses were picking up on. The first is, well, like I said, where is Christ? What has taken him so long? The second then, like I said, is related, right? If Jesus is not here yet, well, maybe he's not really coming. And then the real message of the gospel is that Jesus' death and resurrection set us free from the consequences of our actions, right? God loves, and Christ died the end. So, we can live however we want. I'm concerned that I think that we face the same tendencies today. As follower of Jesus, I wonder do we sometimes make choices in our lives based on the subtle thought that is deep below the surface because really no follower of Jesus would actually admit it, that it's not that important how I live my life. We tell ourselves, I'm not doing anything that bad because nothing seems to happen when I do, I've got time. If Jesus has taken this long to come back, what's to say he won't wait for another few decades or even centuries? I don't know. After all, and this might be the real issue for some of us today, a godly life sounds kind of dull. Goodness, knowledge, self control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Those are characteristics of a godly life. Are those the types of things that we value today? As I worked with this passage, this is the question that kept bouncing around in my own head, in my own heart, is really, do I really want to live a godly life? Do the people of Central, do you really want to live a godly life? Well, let's be honest, Right? What comes to mind when we think of a godly life? Well, I fear most things that come to mind are things that we are not supposed to do or the things we oppose in culture. And frankly, the concern is that if we populate our concept of a godly life with the negative, with the things we don't do, we are left with this really light idea of what a Christ-shaped life is meant to be. And a light view of what a Christ-shaped life is meant to be does not inspire. Sometimes I think we purposefully focus on criticizing our culture so we don't have to ask ourselves that hard question. Peter's testament challenges that approach. Instead, it celebrates this big idea that we have everything we need to live a Christ-shaped life. That we have all the indicators. And so this is what we wanna do. We wanna dig into this and take Peter's encouragement to heart. So let me walk us through kind of a quick summary of this passage of these verses from verses three to 11 to give us an idea of the big picture. Bible scholar Scott McKnight provides a helpful overview of this passage, but he begins with the end. What's the goal? So here's what he writes. The apostle Peter wants his readers to enter into the eternal kingdom. Verse 11, that's the goal. He wants to get us into the kingdom. But to do that, they must remain faithful to their calling in verse 10 and remember their forgiveness. Verse 9. Faithfulness, then, results from the continual development of the virtues from verses 5 to 8. But these virtues come from God's own nature, which he shares with believers through knowledge of God, verses 3 to 4. So the goal of Peter's testament, then, is for people, Christ followers, to experience the glory and the joy and the rest of entering into the kingdom of God. Because, remember, Jesus will return. But a godly life is necessary for this to occur. A godly life includes being faithful to Jesus' calling by always remembering God's forgiveness through Christ and then cultivating important lifestyle characteristics that emerge from God's nature. You see that? So this stuff, we're not making this stuff up. We're not guessing. We say God has revealed himself to us in this particular way. And these are the things, these are the characteristics that he instills in us through the work of the Holy Spirit as taught by Scripture and and emphasized by Scripture. And then that empowers us, that activates us to live these things out. So we must do our best to keep the entire passage in view throughout this series, right? Because the tendency is going to be for us to gravitate immediately to the list of characteristics, right? And focus on those things, right? To create kind of a checklist. Tick, 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 tick. Let me warn you right now, to do this is a grave mistake, the potential to live a godly life is not a matter of us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps to use that tire old figure of speech. It's not, matter, it's not a matter of us trying harder. In fact, according to this passage, a godly life is premised on two gifts from God. Gift number one, the knowledge of Christ. This is our source, verses three to four. This is where it begins. This is where everything we need for life and godliness originates, in the knowledge of Christ. We're going to focus on that next week. Gift number two, right at the very end, kingdom entry, verse 11. That's the goal. That's the whole point. And that's going to be the focus of our message September 3rd. Number three, our response to these two gifts. That's just as important. To cultivate, to do what we can to allow these things to emerge in our lives, these godly characteristics, these Christ-shaped characteristics in verses 5 to 10. Now, some of you know there are other lists like this in the New Testament. So we shouldn't consider this comprehensive as if that's all there is. This is an example. This is an illustration of what it is to be a Christ-shaped person. Our response, then, is the focus of all the messages in between, seven in total. Now, the point, again, the point of these characteristics is not that we must work to produce them, but to clear away all the other stuff in our lives to let them shine, right? That was the imagery that the apostle left us with at the end of this passage, right? To shine. This is what he wants us to do. Let these things emerge from our lives so that this godly, this Christ-shaped life, uh, our, our life illustrates this. To clear away all the other stuff. Remember, the text says that this is true given the condition of faith. Given the condition of faith, we already have these things. I'll talk more about that next week. What other things again? Goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. In lists like this, we need to pay attention to the beginning and the end. The things that kind of... Um, uh, uh, what are the, the the book bookends? Bookends. The bookends of these uh, of these lists, right? Begins with faith; it ends with love. That's the whole. That's the whole process. It's to take us through these things, starting with faith, ending with love, right? And so this is a process. Furthermore, the relationship between these characteristics is very intimate. Depending on the translation that you've got, the English translation, many of them use the English preposition to. Uh, so we add to our faith goodness. We add to knowledge. And, the, and that's, you know, technically that's correct, but it gives us this impression that we're kind of putting blocks side by side or stacking blocks up on top. When actually the, the Greek preposition is more intimate than that. It's more literally translated and probably uh, as in Right, and one uh, scholar uh, helpfully explained this list as, as links in a chain, right? What, each of them are kind of part of a- another, but being distinct. So you can see, so we're adding in our faith, goodness. Adding in our goodness, knowledge, etc., etc. Again, the idea is that we're building one thing on top of another. But we're, we're linking these things together through our, um, through our clearing away of everything else. We're letting these things emerge. So the question for all of us to consider this morning is this, as we dig into this throughout this summer, is do I want to live a godly life? Is it worth it to me? I'm going to invite our music team up and we're going to get ready to transition to a time of celebrating the Lord's death. You see, this is why he came. For us to live a godly life, or my favorite way of, of explaining a godly life is a Christ shaped life. We're called Christians, or we refer to ourselves as Christians, and it basically means Christ ones. Christ-like, being like Christ, living like Christ, living as Christ lived, interacting as Christ lived. So the goal for this series is not for each of us to go away and conclude, yep, that's what the passage says. Instead, it is to encourage us to allow these things that are already present in our lives to grow. And that's why we cultivate. We cultivate by pulling the rocks, by pulling the weeds, everything that would constrain these things from growing in our lives, from exhibiting, from being revealed in our lives, we clear these things away. This happens as we begin and end each day with an affirmation to the question, do I want to live a godly life? Yes. We hope and pray this series will help us all see or remember that the characteristics of a godly life are worth cultivating and that there is no limit to its scope in terms of purview and timeline. Every part of our life, for the entire length of our life, is the field of application. The godly life is not meant to be something that we pull out like our best Uh, China, or if you don't know what that is, your best shoes, or I don't know, whatever you reserve for only kind of special occasions. That's not what a godly life is. Do you see the potential for difficulty? If God has given us the resources specifically for something that we only bring out for certain occasions, or something that we're not even sure we really want, we will begin to experience inner conflict. Because it's important for us to realize that what this verse is not saying, it's not saying that God has given us everything we need to do, whatever we want to do. Remember that, follower of Christ. And this is where we need to be careful and ask ourselves some hard questions. And if you're not sure, if you have the blessing of having close friends or family that you can discuss this with, ask, what are the things that I'm holding back? What are the things that are choking out that are causing, that inhibiting these things from from emerging in my life. The godly life, the Christ-shaped life described in 2 Peter is meant to be the starting point for a lifestyle, a reference point for habitual living. It's intended to be the template by which you and I are to live every period of our lives, in every context our life reveals for the entirety of our life. That is a big ask. But remember, once again, repeat after me, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life.